Hello, everybody. Um, let me um, introduce myself. My name is uh, Thierry Toga Gambe. I, um, I am a wealth specialist with Carrick Wealth Zimbabwe. I've been working in financial services for about just under eight years. And I'm very, very passionate about generational wealth. And I have four other lovely, lovely uh, ladies here with me tonight who are also very passionate about generational wealth. I have uh, Tsungai Masendeke. She's um, a chartered financial planner in, in South Africa. Um, she's got so, so many key, key pointers for everybody tonight. Um, we've got Wongai, we've got Shao, and we have Edith and and um, tonight is really, really about us as Black people, us as Africans, charting a way forward with this thing that we call Black tax. We all face it. Um, it affects us indirectly or directly. We may have been, uh, we might be the first ones to have, uh, uh, to be experiencing Black tax, or we were children to parents who are experiencing Black tax. So before we get started, I'd just like to, I'd like the ladies to introduce themselves. I'll start with Tsungai. Uh, Tsungai, can you uh, introduce yourself to the group and um, any, any keywords that you might have? Hi, Thierry. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We are super excited. Um, like I was saying to the other panelists, it's going to be lit tonight. Um, anyway, let me calm down. I am a certified financial planner by profession. Um, I really love helping people with the creation of um, sustainable generational wealth. I am also the proud founder of Moms and Money, which is targeted at helping moms create multiple streams of multiple streams of income through various tools, strategies, and resources that we provide for them so that they can actually um, leave a legacy, leave a financial legacy for themselves. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited to be here today. And Thierry, point of correction, I don't have one tip. I actually need a lot of time to share what's on my mind today about helping people um, overcome the black tax burden or blessing, whichever you see it. Corrected, corrected. And Vongai, can you introduce yourself to everybody, please? Who goes after that? <laughs> I can't say anything. Hi, my name is Vongai, and I'm just here because I love, I just love Tsungi. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm passionate about um, empowering women to do the most and the best. That's why I'm here. That's great enough. And Shaul? Oh, yeah, who does go after that? Thanks, Tsungi. Um, I'm Shaul Mudekunye, um, uh, also based out in South Africa, but Zimbabwean origin. Super, super passionate about discovering your journey to financial wealth creation and sustain sustainability and just getting out of the rat race. Um, with Wongai, we're also part of the Moms and Money um, 
committee or community, whichever way you want to call it. So also I'm very passionate about creating the content that helps the women to come out of the financial struggle. So uh, as part of my journey, I'm also here to help facilitate this whole event. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Shaun. And uh, last but not least, uh, Edith, um, can you introduce yourself uh, to everybody? Thank you, Thierry. Good evening. My name is Edith Maziofa Tapfuma. I'm a development consultant based in Zimbabwe. I'm interested in money, of course, in making money, and I never want to be worried about black techs. I want to have a sustainable livelihood and a sustainable future, and I would like the same to happen even for my grandchildren. Thank you. Thank you so much, Edith. So ladies and gentlemen, we've got a great, great uh, session for you tonight. Uh, just to give you an idea, this is gonna be interactive in nature. We really, really want you guys to walk away with actionable tips, stuff that you can take in and incorporate in your own lives. Whether you are experiencing black tax uh, right now or you may experience black tax. Uh, so throughout the webinar, I might call you out uh, depending on, on what I see. Um, in terms of uh, people. So I can see Denise Mukojo, uh, I, I might call you out. Uh, I see Tatenda Dina, I might call you out. I see Lusa Rufaro, I might call you out. So this is about us as black people. This is about us as Africans and charting our way forward. So Tungai, if I can invite you, let's have a conversation, financial planner to financial planner. So awesome. Let's How shoot. You? How are you doing? I could never be better, Terry. I'm here doing what I love. <laughs> so Zagai, what does black tax mean to you? Ooh, do you want the refined version? No, keep or it the street real. version. Keep it real, keep it real. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? I've been thinking long and hard about this. And um what I find is that as black people, we tend to have an untold obligation or responsibility towards either our immediate families, relatives, cousins, whether it's the first, second, third, fourth, fifth generation. Um, and as a result, it results, as a result, it brings about financial responsibility and obligations upon people. So for me, what I've learned is that. Black tax can either be a curse or a blessing. And I think the purpose of this particular uh, event is to help people actually uh, debunk what black tax really is and hopefully help people to move from a place where it's um, a burden to a place where it actually becomes a blessing and that they turn it around and start their own paid forward story. Exactly, exactly. And you know, as Africans, there's many reasons why black tax is big for us. Um, there's so many socioeconomic issues that plague Africans. And there's historically been an unfair distribution of wealth between Africans and colonial countries. Um, when I was in Canada, the Canadian way of calling uh, black tax was uh, being a caregiver, somebody who takes care of family members, uh, and you'd actually get tax breaks. 
you could actually oh, wow. declare it on your on your on your on your income tax and you could use it to you know uh, you'd get support from the government in africa we're not there yet so some guy i just yeah. wanted to tell you a few scary facts um and uh just to hear what you, what, what you think um okay according to a study a un study women are two and a half times more likely to experience poverty during retirement when they become caregivers. As a woman, how does that make you feel? Yo, so I actually would like Shao to respond to this one before I give my polished educated response. <laughs> That's professional. <laughs> but Shao, hearing that, what does that make you feel, girl? Like I'm gonna have to work about five times harder than I'm currently working. <laughs> and that there's definitely no sleep like in the future. The reason I'm saying this is because like already you've got your side job, you've got your side hustle, then you've got a side business that you're trying to create just to get out of the current rat race, right? To live the life that you wanna try and live. Then you've got your sibling that you have to take care of. Then you've got maybe another cousin or two. Then you've got, and if already currently we're not, making the ends meet the way we want to it means that i'm actually gonna have to like quadruple up that's actually like that's the practical guide to yeah. what i've just heard and so Xiao and Tsungai, oh Tsungai, you can respond after Xiao before i tell you another scary fact so i think you're quite right terry in that um women have generally a longer life expectancy than men um, and this is statistical. It's not because I'm a hater or anything. Statistically speaking, women tend to survive longer than their male counterparts. So I'm not surprised, Thierry, that um, you, women tend to then uh, have less resources towards retirement. But in addition to that, a lot of the financial burden um, is upon women. Um, the statistics in South Africa are such that approximately 60% of the households are actually um, headed by single women and of the 60 percent right 80 percent um are on a single income so they're not relying or they're not dependent on alimony they don't have any sort of maintenance orders etc so you can see already that the odds are severely stacked around women so i'm not surprised that you know going into retirement um there's a significant lack of uh, financial resources to actually help women um, to make it through. Um, but the reason why we're here is because we know that we're resourceful by nature and we wanna make sure that those finances actually stretch even more. We can create greater wealth for ourselves, our children, our children's children, and ensure that that wealth is actually sustainable going into the future. So here's, here's another scary fact. Um, this was a study done by MetLife. Um, Vongai, how much do you actually think the average caregiver or somebody who's taking care of family through black tax actually loses in terms of wealth in their lifetime in, in American dollars? Wow. <laughs> I don't Actually, I, I know because I read it, but I wouldn't have known. <laughs> what was it? I think it was like about $500,000, right? $566,000 US dollars. Um, yeah. That's in the lifetime is 
in your lifetime. So think about it. That's half a million dollars. One guy, what would you do with a half a million dollars right now? Oh my word. Invest, invest, invest and pay off my mortgage. That's what I'll do. That's how <laughs> and, and Edith, if, if I may ask you, Edith, when you hear that, that in your lifetime, you're probably going to spend half a million dollars taking care of other people, extended family members, before you even take care of yourself. How does that make you feel? I would assume and, and pray that I have the resources to be able to, to do that. It's just that you see the way we take care of, of extended family, it's in drips and drabs, and we're not actually even keeping count of how much we've spent. So cumulatively, when I hear that figure, of course it's scary, but I, 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 sometimes there's no option. There's no way to get out of it. You have to pay it. And Tsungai, um, um, yeah. why do you think it's so hard to have these conversations uh, amongst each other, amongst these Black people, amongst our family, uh, with our family members? Thierry, you bring such a pertinent point that I'm always trying to hammer. Um, talking about money in the Black community is like witchcraft, or saying to someone, you're a witch. It's yeah. unheard of. It's a taboo, bruh. It yeah. is unheard of. Like, it's almost as if we're scared that if people know how much we're earning, then we are going to be indebted even more financially. But what we actually don't realize is whether we're talking about money or not, the financial responsibilities are not going away. The financial burdens are not going away. And the sooner we actually become transparent about it, um, the better it is in terms of the impact we actually start having. When we have candid discussions about money, it becomes easier for us to A, change the mindset completely about finances, about money, about how money is actually handled. And we change the narrative. I'm always saying as Africans, we, start, we need to start owning the narrative. We need to start um, engaging about our finances, about uh, how we plan about money. Because unless we change something, we're going to keep on having the same results. We're going to keep on having the same things being done over and over again. And I'm sure with a lot of people in the room, they will relate. Now, when we were growing up, we were taught things like money doesn't go from trees or things are tough. You know, there just isn't enough to go around. But guess what? In, in, in all honesty, yes, things can be tough. But how is it that some people um, manage to become the Oppenheimers, the Motsepes, um, the Masiwas of our economies, the Zuckerbergs? Um, it's all about shifting the mindset, changing the narrative as African people, as black people, and becoming more open and transparent about money, number one, and about wealth, its creation, and also how it can be passed on from generation to generation. The statistics actually say that if you're a black person, the chances are if you start a successful business today, um, the chances are it will never reach the third generation. The, the chances of it reaching the third generation are only 10%. And it, for me, it's, it's sad because it means you're not talking enough about wealth, it's perpetual creation, it's sustainability, and it's transfer as well. So I think there's a lot we can be doing as black people. Um, there's a lot we can be doing to change the narrative, which is, yes, why we're here today, to help each other become better. Exactly, exactly. Well, very profound, very profound. So 
there we prepared six tips for everybody um and these six tips are you got you're gonna put them into practice today so we decided that we're actually gonna give we're gonna split everybody into into groups and there's gonna be case studies and in each case study you're gonna as a group you're gonna use the six tips that we've given you to actually come out with an action plan the the slight caveat is um due to the amount of people who actually registered we had to create another another uh webinar another meeting room so i'll type in the new meeting room where everybody's going to be placed into groups but i'll start with uh tip number one of the of the six tips so if i can just pick on somebody let me see sammy over here sammy Hi, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? Good, good. So, Sammy, um, just picking on you. Um, what do you think about retirement planning? Um, I mean, I feel as as black people, that's one thing we don't think about. Mm -hmm. We 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 think we're going to be as fit and strong, and. Uh, Hopefully someday our kids will take over and be able to take over, take care of us. Exactly, exactly. So, um, Sammy, tip number one is when it comes to black tax, you have to be have to be proactive about your own retirement planning. Uh, so the first concept I want everybody who's at home to write down it's a concept called pay yourself first. What this essentially means is if you get paid on the first of the month right before you even wake up you should have automatic uh debits um that send money into your savings account or into your investment account or your retirement account so by the time you wake up you've already saved a common mistake that a lot of people make is they get paid on the first uh they spend what they spend they do what they do and they wait till the end of the month and what's left that's when they try to save that's as good as trying to go on a diet and expect to lose weight, but you're eating uh, fat cooks and cake for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So that's the, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, first, that's the first concept. And the next, next concept when it comes to uh, preparing for your own retirement, it's a concept uh, made famous by the late uh, great motivational speaker called Jim Rohn. It's the 70-10-10-10 rule. Um, so just, just out of curiosity, uh, besides the ladies that are here with me, has anybody heard of the 70, 10, 10, 10 rule? You can just, uh, put your, put your hand up. No, no one. That's good. That's what we're here. Do they know how to raise a hand in zoom, Thierry? Oh, we got it. Ah, oh, we've got somebody. We've got somebody. We've got two people. Yay! All right, Tafadzwa, Tafadzwa, let me, let me pick on Tafadzwa. Tafadzwa, can you hear me? Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, good. Uh, so you said you've heard of the 70-10-10-10 rule. Yes, um, a friend of mine shared this um, Excel document that had um, 
that information and it had um, formulas that helped you calculate how you could save. Perfect. I love that. I love that. that that's, that's a great friend. Everyone needs a friend like that. Well done to you. <laughs> so, Tafadu, okay. you can correct me. Actually, if... actually, it's Nigel. I don't know why it's showing Tafadu on your end. Oh, it's, it's, uh, what, sorry, correct me, correct me again. Um, the name is Nigel. Nigel, okay. Um, it's showing us as Tafazo. Okay, Nigel. Um, so I, I'll briefly explain the 70, 10, 10, 10 rule. And um, you can tell us how, how, how you've applied it in, in your own life. So the 70, 10, 10 rule is that 70% of what you make, that's your take home money. That's what you live on. So if you make $1,000 a month, $700, that's money that for you. That's what you live on. So the second uh, part of it is the first 10. So the first 10 is what you call your active investing money. This is where you put it into a savings account. Some people put it in a piggy bank. This is stuff that's easily accessible to you. And it's, some people even call it an opportunity fund um, so that, you know, these are the places where if you hear the, 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 the good business or you want to flip money, uh, this is where you take it from. The third part of the 10 is what you use for passive investing. This is money that you use to save for something long term. You put this money away and you forget about it. You don't think about it. You don't feel it. That 10 then this is typically what you use to put in towards retirement. And then the fourth group of the 10 is that's your take home money. And that's money that you use to make the community or the world at large a better place. AKA, this is part of your, the money you donate to people, this is part of the money that you use to take care of people. So Tafadzwa, have, have you applied the, the 70, 10, 10, 10 rule to yourself and how have you, Nigel, sorry, and how have you used it? Um, to be honest, I'm not sticking to the 70, 10, 10, um, precisely, but I am saving, well, I, I am saving way more than that. Exactly, exactly. No, thank you so yeah. much, to, uh, Nigel. I know I, I put you on the spot there. And uh, rule number two, rule number two, and I know Sangai will be a big fan of this, you need to work with the financial advisor and you need to create a financial plan. Now, Tsungai, I can bring you in over here. What is the benefit of working with a financial planner, of working with a financial advisor and having a financial plan? Thank you so much, Thierry, you're so kind. <laughs> I might as well submit my resume at this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> but on a more serious note, right, I always ask this question. Um, if you're sick, right, yes, there is the old grandmother's solution that can help a flu. But I've never seen anyone being treated of meningitis with the old grandmother's flu medication. It just doesn't work. And I mean, the reason why, I, I, I believe partially the reason why we are inundated with a lot of black tax requirements is because we haven't been seeking proper financial guidance and we haven't been seeking proper financial advice. If you're sick and you're really sick and you need help, you go to your doctor. If you've got 
significant legal issues, you'll inquire a lawyer. So in the same light and right, um, if you've got financial problems or you want to become better financially, you need to seek a professional. And that professional is either a financial advisor or a certified financial planner like my, myself. And I believe that on our own, there's just so much that we can do. I do not um, sit here at home dying of uh, an illness because um, I want to hold on to the legacies of remedies passed on from generation to generation. Beyond a certain point, we need to take ownership of our financial narrative. We need to seek professionals to help and guide us so that even if our parents did this much, we can actually do this much because of the, this much now with the financial guidance, um, because that's the way it is. If you want to become better at your game, rope in professionals so that you can actually um, improve your own game. Well done, well done, well done. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't have said that better. Um, and so that takes us to uh, to rule number three, is and this one is to me this is one of the most important. Um, do not accumulate debt because of black tax. Mm -hmm. Don't accumulate debt. Vongai, I see you smiling over there. What, what, why, why is this one making you smile? You know, because it's it's a temptation when something big happens. You know, um, for like for example, if somebody needs surgery, that's like I've noticed most people uh, respond more when somebody is dying. So they say we need to have heart surgery, and heart surgery costs two hundred thousand rand or whatever it costs, half a million. Like the temptation is for everybody to, you know, let me go and get a loan. I, I like, so, so that's, I get what you're saying, but it's a little, it's a little harder than that. I, you know, that's why I'm smiling. If, if, if you are going to get a loan, then it has to be, that's where going back to tip number two, you have to work with your financial planner and find out if you are making the best, uh, getting the best loan, if you are getting the best decision. Um, making the best decision. I do see a hand up. Um, it's a brave soul. Taku. Your hand is yeah, up. Chief. How yeah, are you? Chief, thanks. Um, all right. Uh, how are you doing, my brother? Good, good. Not too bad. Uh, yeah, just adding to what uh, one guy says that uh, in some scenarios you can come, come across where, uh, you know, uh, seeking debt is the only option for like making uh, an investment an example could be you know if you're putting through uh, a younger sibling through school that uh, you know you're giving them the the tools to basically defend for themselves at some point uh, in instances like that I, I think you know debt necessarily isn't such a bad thing uh, if you're empowering someone else ah, okay. so just a caveat just a caveat there and and i'd like um taku to just um, help me on this one. So one of the key things that we're trying to help do is provoke thought about maybe some of the things we could be doing differently. Um, thumbs up to you if you take on debt to actually help send someone to school. Um, what are your thoughts about, say, taking out a student loan um, in the name of that individual so that they also become partially responsible for financing it. 
what are your thoughts about changing that part of our narrative? And the reason why I say that is, um, in as much as yes, debt might be the only solution sometimes, um, if you find yourself in debt, right, you're already putting yourself maybe three or four or five years behind in comparison to your peers in terms of what you can achieve. Don't you think that if that debt is for things like education, it should be a shared responsibility? Um, I'm, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but what are your thoughts? Well, no, yeah, definitely. So I, I agree um, in the sense that it should be a shared responsibility. But uh, as to the stage, uh, that responsibility kicks in for the person benefiting. Uh, that's the biggest question because um, if you take a young sibling, for example, uh, the aim is for them to focus on school and not to think about, you know, too many things outside of that. So you just have to find a way to to put that message across without, um, you know, putting in an additional burden, a mental burden on someone to think that, okay, this is everything, everything is on the line for me, um, you know, um, I'm going to be held to account for this outside of just like focusing on school. But uh, definitely, I think you should have a, a conversation um, in building up to, you know, to, to creating that arrangement that, you know, at some point, uh, you know, you're going to have to, to take ownership of like, you know, making partial payments or like at least, uh, you know, doing the same thing for the next sibling in the, in the, in the chain that it just doesn't end with you. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, open and honest conversations uh, are important, but you should just have them in a way that, you know, that's constructive and it's, it doesn't burden the person receiving or, you know, you know introduce guilt, the sense of guilt for the next person. Interesting, interesting, interesting take talk, but that's, I really, really do like that. And um, um, kind of getting a sense of, um, you know, what, 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 how you work and how you view finances. And at the end of the day, money is a language. And um, like, like some guy said, we're here to provoke thought, thought and think about different ways you can actually manage your finances. If you are going to take on debt, using one guy's example, if it's an emergency like heart surgery, if you are going to take on debt, there are so many other low interest options that may be available to you. Um, sometimes, uh, depending on where you are, there's some interest, there's some interest on, on debt that is actually tax deductible. So again, finding out what options are available for you is goes back to working with a, uh, you know, a financial planner or a financial advisor who has your best interests at heart. So after that one, let's go to number four. And I feel like number four is uh, I, I like to bring in uh, uh, Shaul for this one. So number four, don't sacrifice your own paycheck. So this one is something that for me, I'll be very honest, it's something that um, I fall into. Um, my very first um, bonus from, from work, I spent my entire bonus on my mom. Um, it was like all of- Good child to me, you're a good child. <laughs> That was my very first bonus, but sacrificing your paycheck. And we tend to find, especially people with elderly parents, uh, and sometimes even people who need care, you do find that some people even take time away from work or lessen their hours or take on um, less demanding roles so that they can take care of, of, of their elderly parents. Shall don't sacrifice your paycheck. What do you think about this? So like you, I blew my whole first paycheck on my parents. <laughs> um, but this is, I was 
I was living with them at the time and um, my dad who's late now had this um, this policy that you cannot move out of home until you're ready to move out of home right so I was living at home and I'd already been buying groceries like I had like odd jobs and stuff but when I got my first first real real paycheck I waited until I got home for the weekend I was living with my aunt at the time I got home and I was like anything y'all want my mom, my dad, my cousin Leo was living with us, my brother, my best friend Doreen, everybody got something. I didn't save a cent <laughs> for the whole, in fact, for the, the, that whole job, I didn't save a cent because I was living at home and then I moved to Canada as well. I didn't save a cent because all my money there was going to like rent and stuff. But um, I, I agree with not sacrificing yourself. Now, when I'm a little bit older and I can see like, and I look back, I can see that I could have easily, especially when I wasn't paying for anything, I could have started my journey there. I could have started my journey with investing right there. I could have taken 50% of that entire thing. It wasn't much, it was like 10 grand or something, 10,000 rand. I could have taken 5,000 rand and I could have put it into something that would have been so much better for me now and blown 5,000 on my family whether i did a whole ten thousand or whether i did two thousand they still would have been grateful anyway um and then i think that there are other ways of sacrificing as well so like i mentioned my dad is late and when he was in hospital i spared no expense i did everything money could do for my dad and in that particular sense i don't regret it so I had lived and I'd done what I needed to do. We'd gone on lots of holidays. So at the beginning of my, my, um, my, you know, my salaried journey, I blew it all on them. I kind of regret that. But towards the end of my dad's life where I blew everything, including like, like you were saying, hours at work and stuff. Like I worked a studio job and I would leave and I'd come back and I was at the hospital every day. I spared zero expense. When I could even see like with my, the part that I, I remember about the money that I spent though, was seeing when we were um, divvying up all his clothes the day after the funeral and seeing like my cousins getting brand new shoes that my, I'd bought my dad, right? But, and I could have used that money anyway, but because it's an emotional thing, I don't regret that. So I'm like, I'm 50, <laughs> I'm 50, 50. I think for me, because emotions play a very big part in how I spend and how I save, that if the, mo if the emotional um, tie or the emotional value for me outweighs the money, I won't regret it. But if the emotional value does not outweigh the money, then I'm like, oh, I could have done better there. I could have done a little so, bit better. So if I can just quickly jump in there, um, shall you make such a great point in terms of, you know, if there is no goal or there is no plan in place, we tend to actually be quite l lenient, if I may put it that way, or very generous. You know, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with generosity, but yeah. if from an early age, we're not having conversations about uh, financial goals um, or financial plans or things that we aspire to achieve, any money that we actually fall into tends to disappear, as I actually like to say. Um, because what I found in life is that if you're not intentional about your money, guess what? Someone else is going to be intentional about it for you. Um, and I think that's a key thing we also need to change in terms of our own narrative as black people that we need to start talking about having financial goals from a very early age, having financial aspirations from a very, fin a very young age, such that the first time people get 
in contact with money, they're not overly excited. They're not going to buy a Lamborghini or um, buying the biggest, flashiest home out there. Um, they're making good, sound financial decisions from an earlier age um, because it's so important um, that we have we change, like I said, we need to change the narrative. People shouldn't be afraid of saying, you know what, when I, and this is to uh, parents, for example, when your child is 10, there's nothing stopping you from having that conversation now. So that when they're 18 or when they hit their first paycheck at 21, those dreams and aspirations that you started talking about at 10, they can start making small, positive, incremental changes in actually achieving those goals. Um, I always say, you know what? A lot of people find themselves exactly where you were, Shao, because there was no intentionality. There was no, um, there was no perception of a goal in mind. Um, so when money came, it just, it just happened to fall where it was most needed at the time. So if it was a pair of shoes that was needed at the time, boom. That's what it went to. If it was uh, clothes, that's what it went to. If it was a holiday, that's what it went to. But if we become more intentional about um, talking about our financial goals, our financial visions, and where we want to see ourselves in 5, 10, 15 years' time, even the people we've been talking to will be like, hey, didn't you say that you wanted to um, buy a stand? Didn't you say you wanted to build a house? How's that going? And without knowing it, you build in accountability, and that actually helps you become better from a financial point of view. Second thing that I also find is that even when you're budgeting, right, when your income, when any sort of income comes in, um, whether it's your first job, whether it's a, a side hustle, whether it's um, um, a, a student job even, have a budget and make sure you articulate line item by line item that you know what for parents i'm gonna be giving them say 25 percent uh parents to the other 25 percent with this five percent i actually want to make sure that i uh, uh, uh allocate this to retirement and you become precise about your income allocation and hopefully um for those that are still to earn their first check um, you'll do um, great with it. Um, but for those that are still earning and are not yet at that path, uh, please be intentional about your budget. Even with black tax, if it means allocating that 10%, if it's finished, guys, you're not a rainmaker. You know, if it's finished, it's finished. Have that honest and open conversation that, guys, I've maxed it out. <laughs> That's a guy. No, man, I love your passion. I love your passion. That that takes me to number five. Um, maintain and replenish your emergency funds. Um, and, and this is this is the key thing, you know, like you've already touched on some guy about replenishing and maintaining your emergency funds is if you don't talk about money, if you can't talk about money with the people that you're taking care of. It, it makes it very, very difficult because you just become the never ending uh, golden goose. You know, everybody's expecting you to lay that golden egg every, every single month. People are expecting that, that, that care package every single month. And um, another scary statistic is nine out of 10 Africans don't have anything for emergency uh, expenses. And 
So that means there's only one out of 10 um, in terms of Africans who actually are saving for a rainy day. And um, Edith, I'd like to call upon you. Um, Edith, I know you're a mother, a loving mother. You're a hardworking entrepreneur, uh, business-minded. Um, how, how do you feel when you hear that there could be other mothers out there who, if anything were to happen, you know, like we just witnessed with COVID, some people have lost their jobs, some people, some people were laid off. Um, if anything were to happen, their entire lifestyle would be would be uh, under jeopardy or destroyed. It's a difficult one because I would like to contextualize it um, to the Zimbabwean um, environment. You talked about your 70, 10, 10, 10. I know a lot of people who can make that happen. They are living on one paycheck and it's not, what they earn is not even enough for them to make savings. So it's very difficult to have um, um, that conversation with those type of people. And I liked what um, Tsungai said that when we're looking at black techs and our obligations at uh, family level, uh, when it's maxed out, it's maxed out. It, it sounds very easy to say in theory, because she also talked about have um, start talking about money, have that conversation about money and have people that hold you accountable for what you've said. Oh, I want to buy that stand. In, 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 in my circle of, of contexts, the people that I know, if you have these conversations with family members or siblings that I want, I'm saving for to buy such a property, I'm saving for this, the message you've inadvertently sent out is that you have money. You actually have a pot of money sitting somewhere that you have absolutely nothing uh, to do with. You just have that money. And when real issues come, like a parent is sick, needs urgent surgery, they're in hospital, need to be on a ventilator or whatever, 100% oxygen, everybody's looking at you because you've had the conversation that you've got plans to, to purchase such and such at a certain time frame. So everybody will know that you have money and they're kind of looking at you. So in a sense, I feel that a lot of us come from um, contexts where you are really viewed as the goose that lays the golden egg. And when you don't lay the golden egg and start to pay yourself first or think about... Um, yourself and your family, your children, their university and all that, you, they start to see you as a very selfish person. And, and it actually affects relationships at, um, at family level because they, do, they know you can afford um, a few things. Or when you want to be selfish about some of these things and go on holiday with your children, with your, with your, with your spouse and your children. And sometimes there can be a sibling who hasn't paid their school, son's school fees or that kind of thing. How do you balance that? So for me, I have no answers. It's a lot of questions. You guys are the experts here. Um, so I'm just leaving you with a lot of questions that it's, it's, it's some of these things. Of course, we want to plan. We want to think about it. We want to, to do something proactive about it. But sometimes the practicality of our real lived experience make it impossible for you to be selfish and to put yourself first. So, so Edith, on that, um, I remember when I was working uh, as a financial advisor for the Royal Bank of Canada, um, I had a 67-year-old, um, very wealthy, a white lady who was, who was um, 
very, very, uh, she was uh, from the Ukraine. So she'd come off borderline racist, but it's just that she used to tell her like it is. And I remember she told me, she's like, you know the difference between black people and white people? Uh, black people, um, you will have one golden goose that's laying eggs and you will starve that goose until literally it has no more eggs. And she's like, you know what we do with white people? When you've got one golden goose that's laying eggs, you exalt that goose, you take care of that goose, you make sure that goose is getting fat, it's being taken care of, and it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, and that's the honest truth. And, 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 you know, for a lot of us, you know, um, for some people in the group, or we know people, we are the golden gooses of our family. And yet we're the ones who are, we're being treated like a road runner. <laughs> to use the metaphor. We're being treated like a road runner. So, which leads, which leads me to number six. And this one is one of the most important ones. Your financial stability comes first. You know, when, you know, when uh, a lot of people don't pay attention, but you know, when you're flying um, and they're going through those emergency procedures, they tell you that if we're crashing and the oxygen comes down, you need to put the mask on first, then put it, uh, give it to somebody else, right? And even if somebody's drowning, um, if any, I, I, my, one of my first jobs was working as a, as, as a, as a guard at a beach in Canada. If somebody's drowning, you need to make sure that you can float. You need to make sure that you can survive. Otherwise, both of you are gonna die. Um, I'd like to call upon, let me see, uh, let me see, let me see. Takuchinengo. Can you, can you hear me, Taku? Yeah, sure, I can hear you. Perfect. How are you I doing, do. Very well, thanks. Good, good. So, Taku, on the concept where, you know, your financial stability comes first, um, what, what sort of emotions that does that evoke? What, what do you feel when you feel that? No, I think it's, it's absolutely true. Um, for me, you've got to help yourself because if you don't do that first, it's very hard to help anyone else, mm -hmm. especially long-term and especially from a Zim context. Because if you look at Zim, Zimbabwe, where it is at the moment, a lot of people are struggling. So the question is, you know, if I'm not in a position to help, you know, first myself, it's very hard for me to even look after and care for all the people that are in my life. So yeah, so it's paramount that you look after yourself. Exactly, exactly. And, and Taku, um, just, just building on your point, um, you know, a, a lot of thing, another thing that's taboo amongst us black people is stuff like insurance. And to be honest, mm -hmm. if, if I was benefiting from somebody, I would want that golden, golden goose to have insurance because if that golden goose goes, then I've got nothing. But you tend to find as, as, as Africans, when we start talking about life insurance, it, it, it borderline sometimes in these meetings, it almost sounds like you're talking about witchcraft. Um, what's, what's your view, Taku, on how we can improve the life insurance conversation amongst, amongst Africans? I think, funnily enough, um, I was talking about insurance just the other day. And I think insurance is actually quite a pain point for me in Zimbabwe at the moment. Because if you look at the simple thing, you've insured your car. If you try to go claim tomorrow with, we know what the rate is doing, 
you might not actually be able to get you know your car so it's like we we actually need to look at insurance again and say even in our current context how should insurance work and how can it actually help us to cover ourselves you know imagine you you struggled to buy a car only only for for you to have an accident and then when you go to your insurance provider and try claim you actually can't get you can't get your car back you can't get it fixed they declared a write off and maybe the payment you get is not even enough for you to get a new car or a quarter of a car you know maybe you can actually just go to the shops and actually buy groceries so insurance is so important for us but it's yeah it's undervalued and we don't have the right conversations around insurance Exactly. So, so if I can actually throw a caveat there, Thierry, mm -hmm. um, the stats actually show that um, it's the type of insurance that we, we, we love as black people, especially when it um, comes to um, short-term versus long-term insurance. And I'm actually quite chuffed that the, the, the last um, speaker, was it Taku, yes. um, actually indicated short-term insurance because we've been sensitized to more short-term insurance products uh, relative to more long-term insurance products. So people will easily think of things like your motor vehicle insurance. They will easily think of um, household insurance, um, whereas they'll easily think of funeral cover, that one, that one specifically. Whereas I'm like, guys, funeral cover, you, for example, here in South Africa, for maybe 150 Rand, someone will get 10,000 rand uh, funeral cover plus say 200 rand airtime and groceries for 150 rand a month. Whereas with the same 150 rand, you could get an equivalent of almost 800,000 rand if it's life cover, if you're a female. So again, coming back to that whole mindset shift uh, where with the same premium, you could get better and it would be more sustainable than being able to have a glorified funeral and then tomorrow your kids are like, okay, where are we gonna get school fees? So it's that thing again where we're like, guys, let's have these candid conversations because if we have them, we will share good knowledge amongst ourselves so that we start making better financial decisions. So now, so now let's 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 put let's put this into practice. Let's actually um, see how we truly truly feel. So we prepared case studies um, for you guys, um, and I will, uh, Edith. Um, I'll, I'll call on you for your case study. Uh, do you want to tell everybody what the case study is, and then what we will do is um, people can um, you know raise their hands as to what they would do um, or what they would recommend to the subjects in this case study. And I'm pretty sure it should be, uh, it should be very interesting. Oh. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Um, so my case study is looking at a young couple, relatively young couple, uh, Tendai and Emily. Um, Tendai is uh, 40 years old and Emily is 36 years old. Uh, they've been married for eight years. 
and together they have two children aged five and three. Tendai is um, in the last year of a three-year contract with an international NGO where he is earning $7,000 a month. And Tendai has been already working with this NGO for six years and he, his contract uh, gets renewed on an annual basis. Emily, on the other hand, is a small-scale farmer earning an average of $2,000 a month. So looking at their current household income, you're looking at about $9,000 a month. In terms of their financial plans or needs, um, Tendai and Emily want to start saving for their children's university education. Remember I said um, currently the children's ages are uh, uh, three and five, and they also want to save for retirement. And Tendai, who is 40 now, plans to retire in 20 years' time, um, when he will by then be 60. And there are challenges or black text scenario are such that um, Tendai's mother has recently had to move in with them after his father um, passed away. And Tendai is also the only child in his family, so he has to look after his mother. She needs him. And Emily, on the other hand, is the oldest in her family. She has two younger siblings and she's helping them with uh, university fees. So these are the pressures that they have, um, uh, financial pressures in their relationship, which are also causing a strain, uh, not just on their finances, but also on the relationship. Then in terms of their current expenses, Tendai's mother has varying healthcare needs uh, that are often unpredictable and sudden. And in the last month, Tendai spent $1,000 on his mother's medical bills after a cancer scare. Emily is also worried about her family's financial well-being. She's concerned um, that if something happens to Tendai, like if he prematurely dies, they would be in difficult circumstances. Be because Tendai and herself, they do, there is no will and there's no provision of a guardian in the event that something happens to the two of them. And then just yesterday, in this COVID era, Tendai got a call from his manager that unfortunately, due to reduced donor funding, his contract will not be getting renewed. So that is their situation. And uh, we would like to discuss in our breakaway session, uh, what should Tendai and Emily do? Thank you. Oof, that's an intense one. That's an intense one. Um, to tend Adina, what would you do in this in this situation? Uh, let me see. To tend, are you still? Are you still there? Oh, there she is. Hi, to tend. Hello. Oh, she's not being, okay, she, I can't unmute her. How about Tariro? Tariro Tandi. Hi, T. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thank you so much for such an intriguing discussion. 
um, I think pretty much when I was listening to this, I was like, this is a tragedy. Um, you know, they have not been saving. He barely has another contract coming where he can probably aid and make certain changes. Uh, but probably they need to then go back to the drawing board, revisit their expenses, look at what it is that's important and imperative for them to be actually addressing, then look at their collective income that they have until, you know, the last month or the last paycheck that Tendai has, and then look at what practical uh, ways they can come up with in terms of changing their spending habits and start saving from that point going onwards because there is no, like, I mean, all these years that have passed and they've not been saving, but I mean, now they have to because it is their reality. So Ngai, what do you think about, um, what do you think Tendai and Emily should do? Oh, is what I first said. <laughs> You know what, um, I, I'm just thinking to myself, like from a practical point of view, if they failed to save when they were at a $9,000 income, what more now with a $2,000 income, you know? Um, but one of the things that I, I, I love, which um, Tyro said was um, back, going back to basics, you know, going back to that old spreadsheet called the budget, and saying to yourselves, what is it that we can actually kick out right now? It's the same thing with COVID. Um, to help sustain the economy, we started with the essential items and non-essential items have been chucked out. Not to say that non-essential items are not um, important, but they're not critical. So same thing, you need to go back to your drawing board, go back to that good old budget and ask yourself which things need to go, which things are non-essential, which things um, can we do without? And then you evaluate your options and say, okay, if these are the things that we can actually do with, are there cheaper alternatives? Because a lot of us, when we have certain lifestyles um, and we've shown people that we have arrived, it's very tough to downgrade and to downscale, but there is no shame in doing that because it will actually uh -huh. help in sustainability. So after you've trimmed down on your expenses, for those that you still have left, ask yourself, is there a cheaper alternative that I can actually um, look into at this point in time? So if it's changing uh, children from your more expensive schools to government schools where you actually don't end up paying any more school fees, if it's selling your current house, moving into a suburb that is um, more reasonable or more affordable, do those things that matter right now so that you can actually survive. Because what I find is that when people hit uh, difficult financial circumstances, they want to hold on to that $9,000 lifestyle on a $2,000 income. It just doesn't work. Um, and if you're afraid that you know your image is going to be um, marred with society, etc., there's a great saying that says, those who matter don't care and those that care actually don't matter after having those candid conversations with your family, sit down with your mom and tell her, you know what, this is the current situation. So that even when you transition from, you know, your more affluent suburb to a less affluent one, 
everyone is in it on it. So yeah, I think that's one recommendation that I'll put, but I'd love to hear what other people have to say. Sure, sure. Um, Elizabeth Gonese, um, love to hear what you, uh, what you think uh, Tendai and Emily should do in this situation. Um, is it letting me unmute? There we go. Hi, um, yeah, I'm thoroughly enjoying this because I'm an old dad. And I'm thinking that if this was the situation that I'm in at my age, I think these are the kind of things that set you to your very much fun. Uh, but these uh, two, I think, should uh, totally downgrade. Um, unfortunately, it's a painful process that most people don't uh, want to engage in. But uh, reality has to uh, uh, be a priority rather than trying to live a life that is uh, beyond your means. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And you know, um, unfortunately, uh, this is a reality for a lot of people in the world right now. Um, and going back to, you know, bringing it back to what we first said, uh, I truly, truly believe that, um, and I'll challenge this to, to, to everybody and, and, and that's attended. If you're an only child and you know that one day you're going to be a caregiver, if you haven't actually started planning for it, if you haven't actually started having conversations with your parents as to how you're going to manage it. And also, um, if, if you're getting married and you know, or you're married and you know that this is something that, you know, that this, you, you're going to take care of somebody, you need to need to need to have a plan. Do not become like Tendai and Emily where you're living off, you had 9,000 US dollars coming in and now you're going having to downgrade. So let's go to case study two. Tsangaya, let us hear case study two. Sure, let's take it away. So we have Rufaro, who is a 40-year-old uh, lady, and she's married to Tadiwa, who is 47 years old. They both live and work in the diaspora in the United Kingdom. They are highly successful. They've got six-figure salaries, great for them in London. Um, I think we should all move there now. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, and they've got three children together, uh, one from Tadiwa's first marriage, um, and then the other two from their current mar mar marriage. So Rufaro and Tadiwa have never managed to actually do um, or plan for their finances <clears throat> together. Uh, so they've got separate bank accounts, they've got separate savings accounts, and they're really not accountable to each other about their financial situation or position. So Tadiwa um, has set up an education plan for her four kids, and she has accumulated about 100,000 pounds for each of her children's education. So she's at about 400,000 um, pounds. Tadiwa is also on track um, in achieving her retirement goal um, to stop working at 60. And she's accumulated about 765,000 pounds for retirement in a personal account and with her company's uh, retirement pension account. Now Rufaro on the other hand, he loves to enjoy. He's splashing the money, and he does have a company pension, and he believes he'll take off his. Uh, he believes will actually be sufficient to take off his retirement needs when he retires. Now Rufaro takes care of her deceased younger brother's family back in Zim, and 
his elderly parents and he loves them so much. He believes it's his duty to take care of his own blood relatives. Tadi, on the other hand, um, is very annoyed with Rufaro's frivolous spending, but as long as Rufaro doesn't put the family into debt, she lives with it. Then one day, Rufaro unexpectedly died from an aneurysm while on a business trip. Tadi suddenly found herself thrust into the role of financial decision maker for Rufaro's family, a task for which she was significantly unprepared. She was immediately expected to make decisions to take care of Rufaro's extended family. Tadi also found out that Rufaro had taken out a business loan of 650,000 pounds uh, to fund a mining venture in Zimbabwe that now needs to be paid immediately um, as part of his estate winding down. What should Tadi do? I mean, they give out, but you, you get the logic. <laughs> that's a that's a crazy one. So, whew, okay, let me let me bring out uh, Israel. Israel, what would you do? Oh, let me unmute uh, Israel. Oh, it's not working. Okay, Hilda. Hilda, what would you do? It's not working. Hi, Hilda. Hello. Hi. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, great. Um, that's a question, but side note, I'd like to say that's probably a situation a lot of... Um, females or a lot of women have been faced in uh you end up by yourself and it's a good thing that at least she has a job to fall back on because you know a lot of other women um they won't have anything to fall back on so in this situation i feel like she shouldn't um overstretch herself because of course um the obligation and the obligation is there she can't she can't run away from it of taking care of um of her husband's family, and she still needs to take care of her kids. Um, she still needs to do everything she was doing in the beginning. All those ex expectations are still going to be there. However, like you were mentioning um, all the other times, you need to know what you can afford. So you need to stick to your budget and, and not overextend yourself. So she knows um, whatever her six-figure salary is and how much she can she she can afford to give people and she should just deal with the expectations that obviously they'll be expecting the same as what they got when her husband was still alive and they're obviously going to complain and everything but she should give what she can what she can afford and just deal with the backlash i guess okay okay uh to tender to tender dina what what would you do um can you hear me yes you can okay um I would say she should actually, although it sounds harsh, cut off the extended family if it's not crucial for them to be given funds or allowances. Because right now she's looking at the debt of 600 or something thousand pounds and the husband left and she still has her own kids. So I think if she does talk to the extended family, both on her side and the husband's side, and say and explain the situation that at the time being until she is financially stable again she won't be able to cater for the kind of lifestyles that they used to get when Rufaro was alive 
Wow. Okay. Shaul, what do you think about that? Um, Joe, guys, like, I feel like I've seen the situation play itself out so many times, especially, I, I think, I don't know if it's an African context, but coming from a Zimbabwean context, I think it's always expected that, and I'm going to have to say this in Shona, in Shona but, you know, like, it's our family money, the man has died, and therefore, Marie says is ours, and like that seems to be the situation all the time. And in this situation, here's this woman who's literally been carrying and planning for her own kids while this man has been taking care of his own family, which is necessary to a certain extent, but also to the detriment of his own family, if that makes sense. And now he hasn't actually lined everything up to continue that post his death because he was expecting to live forever, which is not smart. Um, you, I don't know, it's, it's, it's tough for me, but I think there'd be like, a, 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 there'd be some juggling happening of some cutting back of our lifestyle but also managing expectations on the other side to say, okay, now we're a single family, it's single income family. We can't do everything we wanted to do. The mine has gone bust and now all the money is needed and I actually can't, I, I can't do it because she, she wouldn't be able to do it. How, how do you just pay back 600,000? She does have the 700 and whatever thousand, but it's not hers right now. It's hers for the future. So what must happen? Like hey. that one's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jillian, you put your hand up. It seems like, um, let me see if I can unmute you here. Um, hi, Jillian. Hi, uh, uh, sorry, this is a mistake. Uh, just carry on. Thanks. <laughs> well, you have to speak up for the guys now because um, all the ladies have spoken, so, you know, it was fate. What, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> uh, so actually, I caught up in the middle. So uh, it's, it, I'm just trying to, to, to follow up. To follow up. Okay. Okay. We do have a hand up. Chieza. Um, I was nice to Jillian there. Let me unmute Chieza. Chieza, you had your hand up? Hi, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, hi, lovely ladies and the guy. Hello. Um, I, I'd like to give my opinion on this. I think Shao was spot on, but I think because life is not really about pleasing everyone, the most important thing is to probably go back to the drawing board and be like, okay, where do my priorities lie? Um, the fact that this lady was always putting her kids first while, while the husband was giving the relatives means that it paints a picture by itself that obviously the kids are more important, right? So I do not necessarily think that, I mean, obviously it's sad that someone would have died, but I don't think that that situation should then put a burden on another person who never had that plan in the beginning. Because then what I'll say is, if tables were turned and something happened to her, would these relatives come together and make her a priority? 
And the reality in life is sometimes you break your back for others who are not watching out for you. So I would say she should just say, okay, how much can I spare every month to help people? Stick to that amount and continue with her goals to be there for her children. That's my own, you know, thought. She's doing well. So I don't think she should be derailed by other people. God knows why they're the ones getting help anyway. Wow, very profound. Uh, last hand, Sammy, uh, you have your, your hand up. Um, let's, let's hear from a male's perspective. <laughs> yeah, can you hear me too? Yes, I can. I think, I think in, in such a situation, her first step should be to engage a financial advisor because given her, her high income status, I think this is, there could be places where she can, you know, um, restructure, uh, just move things around and uh, hopefully be able to do something for the family. Obviously not at the level that he was, but uh, I think this is a situation where a financial advisor will be very useful. You, know, you mentioned she has the pension with her company. She's been putting money aside. Um, maybe just structuring of these um, of setups could, could help in the situation. Wow, Sammy, I love that. I love that. I love that. Um, Vongai, can you give us case, case our last case study? Case sorry, sorry to read. Before we actually jump to the third case study, there are yeah. a couple of things that I actually want to just highlight there okay. um, that I feel if you find yourself in that place where you're earning well now, um, please do right by yourself. Um, if you take on debt, make sure you've got some form of credit insurance on that debt. So what credit insurance does for you is when you die, that debt is actually paid off on your behalf. Um, because we see it all the time, people get into these um, significant debts, but they've got no plan B if they fall dead, which is a possibility for anyone and everyone. So make sure you've got adequate credit insurance for any sort of debt. And in this particular case, it's a, a mining venture. It could be for your house. Make sure you've got mortgage protection. Make sure you've got um, some form of loan protection so that if you're no longer around, um, as a result of death specifically, those debts can be uh, wound down whilst um, the family still maintains ownership of the assets or the property. So that's point number one. Then point number two, which actually was touched on in case study one and two is, Black people, get your act together and get a will. When we, we talk about wills, guys, it's not to say that you're dying now or you're dying tomorrow. It's prudence. It's about planning properly. So please go and get a will. Check yourself tonight. Like, think long and hard about this and go get yourself a will so that those that are actually left behind know exactly what you want done with whatever resources you had. Um, coming back to that situation where this guy passed on, if he had a will that was very clear to say this and this and this asset should be given to the relatives, guess what? If that asset is no longer there, they will not keep on coming back because they were allocated something. It's when it's so open-ended that everyone feels entitled to a portion of the pie. But if it's very clear-cut who's getting what and how much, they know that if my allocation is then finished, then that's it. 
if you leave it open-ended, you just open a can of worms. And sometimes to actually then uh, walk away from that or, or, or live past that becomes very, very difficult. So make sure that you've got enough uh, uh, credit insurance um, and also make sure that you've got a will in place and um, the other thing that I also wanted to mention just in terms of you know the generational wealth creation process as much as yes we are in the 21st century and you know people want their financial independence and people plan individually I think they also need to have a family plan so in as much as they are planning in their individual silos there also needs to be some sort of uh, community plan so a certain pot where they allocate resources for the sake of the family um, so that if if the one spouse is no longer there at least there's the family pot for the family things um, if the one spouse is no longer there there's the family pot for the family things um, so that if you're going to do other things within the extended family context even though you're planning separately there's local agenda for which the primary uh, family also can work towards so yeah i think those are three key things that i would like people to just remember and take note of as well Ooh, i'm sold in the church of some guy baptisms on friday <laughs> case study three case thanks study three. yeah Michael is the youngest of seven older siblings. He is 35 years old and he is working as an OBGYN in a doctor in Cape Town, South Africa. His older sibling is 55 and is a paraplegic. His five other siblings are entrepreneurs. They are based in Zimbabwe. However, due to the economic challenges in the country and misfortune, their businesses have never actually taken off. So Michael sends care packages back to his family every month. He also gives each of his siblings a monthly allowance based on their needs. Michael recently found out some terrible news. He has lung cancer. And while it is in the relatively early stages, it is very costly to treat. Michael hadn't grown much of his savings as he always believed he would start saving later once he is a well-established doctor. His medical insurance covers barely, um, uh, sorry, his medical insurance cover is barely covering the cost of his medical expenses. He may need to get a loan to cover the extra expenses. Michael has always considered it his role in his family to provide for them and to manage everything financial. Soon that would end and they would be on their own. So what should Michael do? Yeah. Yeah, let me um, let me pick on somebody. Um, Kalinda, Kalinda, are you there? Okay, that one is not unmuting. Um, how about uh, Linda? Linda, are you there? Oh, that one won't unmute. Eden. Whilst I pick on other people, what, what would you do if you're Michael in this situation? 
I think this is um, one of those situations where he just has to face the reality and he needs to sit with his family and have that difficult conversation and that he's looking at um, a terminal illness which is going to require a lot of his resources and in this instance he needs to put himself and be self and just tell tell them what it is that I can't afford this anymore. I can't afford as much and um, I have to look after myself, unfortunately. <laughs> oh man, it's, 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 a, it's a very, very emotional one. Shao, what do you think? Oh, was it my face? <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree because here's the other thing, right? We're not all children. And much as I love my sibling right now, I have one sibling, he's in Zimbabwe, and we pretty much take care of everything for him and his family, right? Because Zimbabwe is a very, very tough situation, and we understand that. Should something happen even to my partner here, and I have to divert funds to save his life, I will divert those funds to save his life. Because guess what? While we're all still alive and we're, we're living and we're, we're, we're healthy, yes, I've got my brother who's a paraplegic, but now if I die, I can't even support my brother who's a paraplegic anymore. And what must happen to him? So isn't it better for me to try and prolong my life and figure out step by step as I keep it moving? And I don't even think, I know Edith just said it's being selfish. I don't think it's being selfish. I think as a sibling, he's already, he's paid his dues now. And he can't be the only one taking care of everyone, someone else. And perhaps in him removing that sort of money, someone else will step up and make a plan to even try and help him. And I feel that's the way it should, especially with your siblings. Like you, you have to find a way of trying to help each other. Maybe now we have to start selling, I don't know, family assets or whatever, whatever we have. The entrepreneurs there must figure it out since they are entrepreneurs. But I think at that particular point, if I've got the choice of dying in three months or dying in six years because I diverted money to myself, I don't think that that's even much of a, of a of a choice really exactly exactly tinashe kunaka uh what do you think michael should do um yeah it's a very interesting case study uh, a sad one um it seems like michael really wants to be you know like the rock of his family who's uh, providing for everyone and taking care of his siblings and everyone else but um, as it was said earlier, it, I think something needs to change. He needs to put the spotlight on himself uh, and he needs to seek treatment, uh, which can be very expensive. Um, but yeah, I know that there are cases where, you know, people can recover from lung cancer. So um, I think some of the things that he could possibly do is take out life insurance if he doesn't already have it. Uh, look at taking out gap cover for his medical aid if he doesn't already have it. Um, also look at taking out funeral cover. Um, you know, it's not nice to think about the end, but should the end come, uh, you know, he wouldn't want to be a financial burden on his relatives as well. Um, yeah, but, but I think uh, things definitely need to change. Um, it can't be business as usual regarding his family um, and he needs to put himself first. I, I love that. I love that, Tanasha. And um, Malik, what, what do you think Michael should do? Hi, Terry. Uh, well, my sentiments are shared with... Can you guys hear me? Sorry, first of all. 
Yes, we can, yeah. Okay. Well, my sentiments are shared with the rest of you guys. Um, I think it's time for him to put himself first. And this goes back to the story that you mentioned about the somewhat old racist white lady who said that uh, at times you need to let the, the golden goose breathe. And this is the way now you need to let him breathe. And his sibling should realize that he can save everyone. You know, he's not Superman and he needs to put himself first so that he can put, if he survives, he can put the other people, you know, back at the center of his focus. So I think that's one thing we as black people um, need to realize that we can't save everyone. And especially if we have siblings, we have to share the responsibility. Okay, if I have, for example, right now, I have five brothers. If I had a paraplegic brother and I've been helping him out, if anything happens to me, I should expect or I hope that my other brothers would then say, okay, listen, you've done your part. Let us help you or let us help this, this brother of ours. It's the least we can do. Get your life insurance, get your life in order, get your life affairs in order, you know, right to will. In case the worst happens, at least you know you are set. So I think that's, that's my, my sentiment. Thank you so much, Malik. And um, you know what, there's, there's so many key concepts that, that have been said tonight. And um, I do have your emails. Uh, there is gonna be a summary. This is recorded. Um, so no, these are living, breathing uh, techniques and tips. But I'd like to open it up to everybody. Um, just, just put your hands up. I know there's so many things that have been said. Some of the stuff you might, you, it might apply to you. Some of the stuff it might not. Um, yeah, I'd really like to open up to everybody, see um, what, what, what tonight has provoked in you and what you're walking away with. Ah, I'm gonna pick on my sister here. Shami, can you hear us? Oh. Hi, Shami. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Ah, uh, it's a bit faint. Hello? Hello? Oh, okay. Tsungai, uh, whilst my sister works on a, on a, on a microphone, um, what, what sort of key takeaways um, do you have for people? And then Rose, Rose I'll, I'll pick on you next. Okay, so one key element that I think we might not have um, spoken about as explicitly is, if you have a parent that you're taking care of um, and they have got significant medical bills, maybe consider getting them put onto some form of medical insurance so that you're not self-insuring. Uh, self-insurance is very expensive, i.e. trying to pay or fork out money every single month um, out of your pocket in order to finance medical bills. Um, if you've got uh, parents who you're um, helping out from a uh, health perspective, please, please, please consider getting them on some form of medical aid um, so that they can, so it, it actually just helps to reduce the risk from 
uh, your perspective, but also from their perspective, if you uh, don't have that cash available at hand. Then um, just also in terms of um, having these kind of conversations, guys, we need to start today having these tough conversations. And it's about, I think, slowly introducing the culture of talking about money. You talked about money as a language, TV. And the only way children become better at speaking English, Shona, Setswana, Zulu, Kosa, is if they continuously speak the language, right? We're not going to get better at these money things if we're not being honest and candid about it amongst ourselves. So one key challenge I will give everyone today is um, at the next dinner table or at the next family gathering just put in a little hint there and start a very short conversation about finances see where it takes you and keep on incrementally um challenging the conversation about money and yeah let's make it a uh, less taboo conversation or a less taboo topic and get on top of it especially where it concerns black tax or black blessing <laughs> exactly and i think it's nigel you have your hand up uh, no, no, this is the real Tafadzo. Oh, it's the real <laughs> he Tafadzo. He used my okay. invite. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used my, um, we're actually housemates, so I invited him to this. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so yeah, the first thing is um, this, this is such a great session. Um, we were actually discussing this just the last week, and we were discussing legacy, you know, because there are three of us in this house, and we we're discussing legacy a few um, days ago. So when I, I'm signed up for this thing. I know you guys um, had a lot of heavy things on social media. But anyway, I think the biggest lesson here is financial literacy. And that really lacks in our community. My older sister bangs on about all the time. But, you know, I think it's something that we should um, try and um, pass on to our children as young as they, as young as they can. I, I don't know if you guys saw this um, thing that I was doing the rounds on social media, this kid who I was talking about. What's credit, what's debt, what's whatever, whatever. I mean, I think it's it's really, really important that we get these sorts of conversations going from a very, very um um, um early age. And yeah, um I've also learned quite a few things today. So um thank you about that. Um I've managed to open up a little savings account whilst we're on the whilst we're on the call. Um so <laughs> yeah, I did like true story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah it's 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 actually like very very um good and i think we should have more sessions like this thank you very much guys thank you thank you so Thanks. much Tafadzo, you must have been the star student the one who sits right in front next to the teacher no. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly. so guys you know um topics like this um you know it's, it's something that it's it's an ongoing conversation uh, but, you know, something that some guy said, and even Tafazwa said, you know, um, especially here in Africa, um, there's a saying in, 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 in Shana, um, and it basically, you know, it loosely translates that, you know, the mother is um, the, 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 the key of the household. We need to make sure our women are financially literate because they are the ones who are going to raise financially literate kings and queens. Men, we need to be financially literate. Um, because you know as much as we don't like to accept it um like some guy said we are probably gonna die first if we're making bad financial decisions man let me tell you something another man is gonna take care of your kids another man is gonna take care of your ex-wife um of your deceased um you know so men it's really really upon us 
Um, and as Africans, you know, we see it every single day. I was having a conversation with a client of mine today where, you know, his, his, his colleague who's in Afghanistan um, started an education fund um, three years ago and was in a great fund and he's already trebled his money and he hasn't even started, right? So as Africans, you know, it's, our time is now and, you know, we need to keep these conversations going. I'm a, I'm a financial advisor myself, some guys here, um, Edith has got, uh, she's just started her own uh, wellness company, um, uh, you know, financial literacy. There's so many people who are, you know, trying to give this information out. Let's spread the word and let's not have, um, next time when we have an Africa day, all they're showing is just people in Kenta clothing and uh, celebrating and, uh, you know. <laughs> so, no, thank you so much uh, for everybody who's attended. This is reported. Uh, I will be sending financial planning worksheets. Some, some of you guys don't have financial plan, plans, but this is just a very generic thing just to get you started. And um, yeah, Tsungai, Bongai, Edith, I'll unmute you all. I'll give you a chance to uh, say bye to everybody. But from, from my side, thank you so much. I'm very grateful that you, everybody, to everybody who attended. Oh, sorry, before we say the buys, there's an interesting question, the questions. Maybe Tsungi, you want to take that one? Uh, okay, do you mind just reading it to you me can't quickly? See it? Um, as someone who, that has been a benefactor of, back, of black tax, sorry, blah, 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 once you start earning, how do you turn around and then say to those expecting from you that you're only going to give them 10% or whatever amount? when you've been benefiting from them? Um, and I think it's a great question because I think a lot of uh, caregivers or black tax people uh, find themselves um, as, as having been benefactors themselves. So it becomes a, um, a cycle that perpetuates and it perpetuates um, into the future. Um, but I think like we said earlier on, guys, we need to start having conversations about this with our family members. Because unless, we, unless someone breaks the chain, guess what? Like a bicycle, you'll keep on going round and round and round and round around the same circle. And we need to stop it, guys. We need to, to change something if we are going to start creating legacies that are going to be A, sustainable, and that are going to help the next generation. Um, I came across this very, very interesting concept about you know paying it forward. If you still need to be taking care of siblings, i.e. they're at the same uh, level as you in terms of lineage, or you're paying it backwards, i.e. taking care of parents and grandparents, we're never going to go forward as Black people. So I think our mandate should be, how can I be paying it forward continuously, rather than always having to pay it backwards? How can I create wealth so that I can actually pay it forward? And it comes with that conversation to say, guys, you know what? Um, in as much as, um, yes, someone did contribute to my well-being, X is the amount that I act can actually afford. And for you, you are the one who actually knows that it's only 10%. Your relatives will not know outside of what you have told them. So if you tell them that, you know what, on a monthly basis, I can afford $500, but you've done right by yourself by making sure that you've allocated something towards your long-term investments, your mid medium-term investments, your emergency savings, your retirement savings. Guess what? You're not neglecting them, but you're 
but also doing something right about ensuring that going into the future, there is something waiting there for you so that you don't have to perpetuate the same uh, cycle to your children and their children. All that, Cindy. I was on mute. Uh, Edith, Xiao, and Wongai, um, you can say your uh, your bias to everybody, um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm more than grateful. <laughs> thanks for having me, Thierry, and thanks, Sungi. You're amazing. Thanks, everybody. You are all awesome. I learned a lot. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> thank you, Tsungi, and thank you, Thierry. Um, it was a lovely evening, great discussions. Uh, and maybe I'll just end by saying, um, I know we are all at different uh, spaces and points in our lives. And if you hadn't started saving, it's not too late. You can start with uh, this month's paycheck. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, oh, yeah, exactly what Edith said, man. It's never too late. I'll, uh, Tsungi's always telling me that I've got stories and stories for days. Guys, I'm a poster child for super stupid, dumb debt. And I can tell you now, like after just focusing for like the last six months, I've come out of more than 20,000 Rand worth of debt in the last six months, which is ridiculous. It takes so much sacrifice. I've learned a lot. I feel like I am now an expert of coming out of debt, but I am not a financial advisor. So Tsungi and, and Tiri, I really, really want to thank you for putting this together. Um, Edith and Mungai, thank you so much. I think I've learned so much even just in the like group of, of like facilitators, but also so much from the, the questions that were being asked. And I have a lot of stuff that I need to go and also reflect on, particularly when it comes to our, our responsibilities to our family. So thank you all so much. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. So everybody, um, thank you. Have a great night.